Good morning. I'm glad to see you this morning. Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, if you didn't get the article in the back, I encourage you to do that. It's going to be supplemental to the sermon this morning, uh, just additional information about it. Uh, we're going to be spending some time in Colossians this morning. I thought it would be good for us to go through a book of the Bible and see what the, the message is of that book. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're not going to read every verse. It's a short book. But And we probably could read every verse, but we're going to read the sections that I think really help us to understand what's in this letter, that we might glean what Paul's purpose is in writing this letter. Uh, The Colossian letter is a letter that Paul wrote once again while he's imprisoned at Rome. Uh, And we find out as we read this letter that Paul has never met the Colossians before. Uh, You know, the Ephesians he had spent time with, the Corinthians, the Thessalonians he had spent time with, but the Colossians he's never met before. Uh, It seems as though he knows the Colossians through Epaphras, who is a minister ministering to him as he is imprisoned in Rome. And Epaphras seems to be from uh, Colossians, like he, he preached there at some point, and now he has been sent to help out Paul. So, what is Paul going to say to a church that he has never met. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Because that's us. We are a church that Paul has never met. Now, we don't have Brent over there talking to Paul right now about us, but, uh, you know, it's interesting that he would write a letter to a church he has never met. What is he going to write to them about? Why has he written this letter? Well, the answer for us is pretty easy for us to see. Uh, letters in the first century were pretty typical in the Roman society to start off with the author. Uh, we don't start off that way, right? We start off with the recipient. But it would start off with the author. So you know who this letter is coming from firsthand. And then it would have the recipient. And after the recipient, it would have some salutation. And then it would have a section of thanksgiving. And then the body of the text and then greetings at the end. So... This letter follows through that very idea of a Roman letter. But whenever we get to the Thanksgiving section, there we find our answer to the question, why is Paul writing this letter? In the Thanksgiving section, he says that he has not ceased to pray for them. Look at verse 9. He says, And so from the day we heard, he heard of their faith, of their love in the Spirit from Epaphras, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What is it that Paul is praying for the Colossians to have? That they be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Think about that for a minute. Imagine a church that does this. Imagine a church that is filled with the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This sounds like a pretty amazing thing to have, right? And it makes a lot of sense for Paul to be praying for this church, who he's never preached to, to be given the understanding and the wisdom and the knowledge of God's will. This is what he would desire for them to have. 
Isn't this what He would desire for us to have as well? What would that knowledge of God's will do for us? If we were filled with the knowledge of God's will, if we had all understanding and wisdom, what would it do for us? Wouldn't that knowledge empower us to do God's will? You think about a child that has no idea what his parents want from him. He's powerless. He has no ability to control whether his parents are going to be satisfied with him or not. Because he doesn't know because they haven't shared that communication with the child. But in understanding the will of God, we are empowered to do the will of God. And this is Paul's prayer for the Colossians, that they be filled with this knowledge and wisdom and understanding. So Paul prays for them to have it. And we see as we study this, that Paul is writing them hoping that God will use this letter to accomplish that feat. That through the writing that he is presenting them, they will be filled with knowledge of God's will. So this is why we want to study this book. This book helps us to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding. We can be filled with that knowledge as we read it and understand it. So how is Paul going to do this? How is Paul going to fill us with this knowledge? Well, notice right after the discussion of the prayer in verse 13, he starts to describe what God has done through Jesus. Verse 13, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So He's transferred us. God has transferred us and delivered us into the kingdom of Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things." And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent or supreme. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross." Notice how Paul goes from discussing his prayer that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will to a full description of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He is the beginning. He is there at the creation. By Him all things were created. All things were created through Him. All things were created for Him. He is the firstborn of creation. And He is also the firstborn from the dead. He is the head of the church. He is the fullness of God. But notice it also says that He is the image of the invisible God in verse 15. Jesus is for us a visible image of the invisible God. 
When we look at Jesus, we find the key to understanding who God is and what God has done and what God's will is for us. When we sang songs this morning and when we had the Lord's Supper, all those thoughts were about Jesus. It was centered on Jesus. Just like Paul is now centering us on Jesus before he starts this letter. Why? Because Jesus is the key to understanding God's will. As we keep reading, we see that He is the... I'm sorry, I didn't... He is supreme over all. He is the one who everything is about. He is before everything. And He is the one that Paul's whole ministry revolves around. As we keep reading, we see in verse 28 that Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The whole point of Paul's ministry is to proclaim Jesus. That's what he's here for. That's what the apostles and prophets are all about. Proclaiming Jesus in order that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The mature person has knowledge of God's will with wisdom and understanding. Also, in chapter 2, verse 3, it tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This whole letter is going to tell us about Christ in order to tell us about God. How are we going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding? We're going to have to see Jesus. We're going to have to come to know who Jesus is. And when we come to know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and and how that affects us, what's going to happen? Just like a child who is told the will of the father or the mother, we are allowed to make a choice and, and we are now empowered to do what our parents tell us to do. So we, by knowing the will of God, will be empowered to do God's will. Go back up to chapter 1, verse 9, and, and let's look again at this prayer. He says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance with patience and with, with endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. By knowing the will of God and having that understanding, Paul says it's going to empower you. Verse 11, you may be strengthened with all power. That you might be able to do three things. There's three things pointed out there. That you might be empowered to walk worthy of the Lord. That you might be empowered to bear fruit for the Lord. And that you might be empowered to give thanks to the Father. 
This is a layout of what this letter, where this letter is going. After telling us that He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and understanding, He's going to tell us that you might be empowered to walk worthy, to bear fruit, and to give thanks to God. This is what we need to do with this information. So let's, let's look at each of these sections as we work our way through Colossians and see how it is that Christ empowers us to do these three things. First of all, we can walk worthy of the Lord. Well, how can we do that? How are we going to walk worthy of the Lord? We mentioned this when we looked at Philippians. The same idea was used. How is it that we can ever walk worthy? When I think about walking worthy of the Lord, I don't, it doesn't make sense. It's... What am I going to do to walk worthy of what I've received? The sacrifice of Jesus is is more than I could ever deserve. And by giving everything, the greatest work, the greatest sacrifice, I don't see it as being worthy of making up for my sin. But that's the wrong way to look at this. How is it that we can be in a way that God finds worth in us? What is it that we can do to be worthy of what God has done? Paul tells us in chapter 2, verses 6 through 20. Let's read that. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Notice, in order to walk worthy of the Lord... Paul tells us we need to walk in Him as we received Him. How did we receive Jesus? When we came to Jesus, what did we do? We heard about who He is. We heard about what He's done. We believed that He is who He said He is. We submitted with humility. We confessed our sinfulness. We repented of our sins. And we were washed in baptism to have those sins removed. So here Paul says, as you received Jesus, so now you need to walk in Him. There's no difference between what the unbeliever does in order to receive Jesus and what the believer needs to be doing in order to receive Jesus. All of us who have been baptized into Christ can now walk worthy of Him by receiving Him every day. We live a life of humility. We live a life of confession of our sins, of repentance of our sins, a life of faith. Notice that Paul says that we are to be rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. 
All of our salvation rests in Jesus. He is everything to us. To walk worthy of the Lord, we need Jesus. We need His sacrifice. There's nothing different that God wants us to do than what what we did at the beginning. So Paul says, we don't need any philosophies. We don't need any new ideas or new words from the Lord about how to be pleasing to God. We don't need to come up with some new logical reasoning for some way that we can please God now that we've been saved. What we have received in Christ is all that we need. He is the fullness of God and we have been filled in Him. Isn't that an amazing thought? We simply need to hold fast to Jesus. He is the head of the body who provides nourishment. He provides growth. This is what being filled with the knowledge of God's will through understanding Jesus does for us. It helps us to walk worthy of the Lord. To live a life of faith and humility. Well, let's think about another thing. We can bear fruit for God. Knowing Christ empowers us to bear fruit for God. Well, how is it going to empower us? What is it that knowing Christ will do to help us to to be fruit bearers, to do good works? For God, How is it that we're going to all of a sudden find ourselves able to do God's will and to do good things that we might lay up a treasure for ourselves in heaven and glorify God? Well, I know what we'll do. We'll come up with a religious order and we'll come up with a religious system to set everything up so that everyone is doing everything that they're supposed to do in in accordance with what God desires for them to do. And, And we'll make this list of things that we will do to make sure that we're bearing fruit, that we're getting rid of the sin in our lives, and that we're doing good for God. Well, Paul says no. Paul doesn't... Paul says he doesn't want anything that's some self-made religion. That's not his desire. That's earthly. When we do that, we are being earthly. In chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, he makes this very clear. We die to those elementary spirits of the world. We die to those ideas of focusing on rules and regulations of this earth. All that those things did for us is increase our sin. They had no power, they had no effect in stopping the indulgence of sin. So how are we going to bear fruit for God? What are we going to do if we can't just make a bunch of rules that help us to be the most righteous and to stop? Well, it's actually very simple. He tells us in chapter 3 that we need to set our minds on the things that are above. Read with me chapter 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. God wants us to instead of focusing on the rules and regulations and earthly things, to instead focus our minds on the things that are above. To focus on knowing who God is. On knowing who Jesus is. On understanding and being filled with the knowledge of Him. We think about Him. We put our minds in heaven. Imagine yourself being an intern in heaven for a period of time. You get to go up there and you're hidden with Christ and you're seeing who God is. You're seeing what God has done, what Jesus has done, and you're experiencing it all. And then you come back to this earth and you live based on what you know. This is the way that we become fruit bearers for God. We put our minds on things above. We think about Christ and God and what they have done and who they are. And when we do this, he says that the peace of Christ will rule our hearts. When we dwell on the peace we've received through Christ, the knowledge of what God has done for us and what Christ has done for us as we just thought about gives us peace. And we put that peace in our hearts. And we put Christ in our hearts. And we let Him take over. And we let Him rule. What's that going to look like? Is that going to look like adultery? Is that going to look like anger and malice and, and hating one another? No. That's going to look like love, compassion, Generosity, kindness, tenderheartedness, humility. And that's what Paul is telling us here in this letter. That if we set our minds on what God has done and who God is, and we know God, then it will have an effect on our hearts and our minds that we will desire Him and we will serve Him with everything we have. We won't just fulfill the list of checks and the rules that we need to do to make God happy, we will live for God. And by doing that, we will bear fruit for Him. Well, what does it mean that Christ will empower us to give thanks to God? How do we give thanks to God? What what is it that Christ does for us? Well, it's very similar to what we have studied thus far. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. He says... Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that mean? To let the Word of Christ dwell in you. 
This is what the whole letter has been written about. The word of Christ is the news about Christ that that Paul has been sharing with the Colossians, that Paul shares everywhere. Him, Paul proclaims to everywhere that they might know who Christ is and what Christ has done. And he says, let that dwell in you richly. Open up your Bibles and understand what God has done, who God is, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. Let it be rich inside of you. Let it be so full inside of you that it comes out. Let it sink into your heart that your heart becomes this overflow of words, of thanksgiving, that you're teaching, that you're admonishing, that you're singing praises to God. Knowledge of Christ should result in a life that is overflowing with thanksgiving in the words we say to one another. As we speak to one another, we ought to be speaking about what God has done for us, what Christ has done for us. We get together to study the Bible together to reflect on these things, that we might know God, that we might know Christ, and be rooted and built up in Him. But there's another thing that we can do that gives thanks to God. And he says, let everything you do in word or deed be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. It's not just our words, but it's our everyday actions. We show that we love God. We show that we know God because we live as God desires for us to live. He then gives examples. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, be good to your slaves. He gives us some practical examples of things that we can do that shows our thanksgiving to God. But notice, these are not things that we do in order to be pleasing to God. These are things that we do because God has made us pleasing to Him. These are things that we do out of thanksgiving to God because of what God has done for us. We speak with the Word of Christ. We act in a way that glorifies God. Not in order to please some mean, wrathful God, but because we understand who He is and what He's done for us. And we want to show our thanks. We live this way because we know Christ. We have to know Him. Jesus is the center of our life. He is the ground for everything we do. The reason behind every action we take. He's our motivation. Knowing Him empowers us. To do the will of God. That's the message of Colossians. Colossians provides us with knowledge of God's will. That we might be understanding of who Christ is and be empowered to live like Christ. To walk worthy of the Lord. To bear fruit for God. And to give thanks in everything that we do. So then the choice is up to us. As we study and we understand the letter to the Colossians, 
it, it pretty much is up to us. What are we going to do with this information? Like a child who is told the will of their father, will we rebel and do whatever it is that we want to do? Or will we let Christ be the motivation for everything we do? As we have received Christ, so now we need to walk in Him with humility, with love, with faith, bearing fruit, and giving thanks. If anybody here this morning has not put on Christ and received the blessings that are offered through His sacrifice, if you've not made a a decision that you want to glorify Him with everything you have because of what He's done for you, what's holding you back? If you need somebody to study with, ask someone to study with you. If you need to know more, ask someone for help. Don't be hindered from understanding the wonderful blessing that we have in Jesus. If you need to accept Him, please come as we stand and sing.